It is Friday, September 4th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the DS Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and it is the biggest weekend of the year for fantasy football players. It is the final weekend of drafting before the NFL season begins Thursday night. Jared, do you have any drafts going this weekend? Uh, none this weekend. I only have one left. It's my oldest of old school leagues, the one I got in when I was like 10 years old, and we always do that draft uh, the Tuesday night before the season starts. That's how devoted Jared is to this. He won't even schedule any of his own drafts over the weekend just because he's ready for shark bites and questions that come in. That's right. Actually, my brother's getting married on Sunday, so I'll be I'll be <laughs> away from the computer for most of the day Sunday, so I'm going to be leaning on you. Yeah, so I guess I'm doing all the shark bites on Sunday. Uh, I have a draft <laughs> Sunday night as well, so I, I guess don't ask me anything. Don't ask us anything on Sunday night. <laughs> we'll, we'll have Kevin <laughs> ready to answer if you got anything going on. But yeah, we'll all be around our computers all weekend doing shark bites for any news that comes up, answering any questions that come through. It's a busy weekend. In case you're heading into a draft or three of your own, uh, we decided to run through some last-minute draft tips and strategy on this show. We'll be going through it position by position in a few minutes. But first, let's look at some news from this week, including today. And then ultimately, ultimately at the end, we will be answering any questions that we get from you guys while you're watching this. So feel free to submit those along the way. Um, but we'll go we'll go position by position. We're going to go through the news. And let's start that with the first round running backs, Jared. And, and they got kind of complicated late in draft season with some contract questions. Joe Mixon cleared his up. He got an extension recently. So it looks like we should be able to draft Joe Mixon as we were planning. Dalvin Cook still hasn't gotten his extension. We'll talk about him in a minute. But Alvin Kamara has been the big one. Left the team for a few days. It was reported that it was contract-related. He has since come back to the team. He had a sit-down with Sean Payton. Apparently, they're still working on extension. It sounds like both sides want it to happen. So there doesn't seem to be worry that Alvin Kamara is going to hold out. But we also learned that he got an epidural while he was out, which, of course, is a numbing shot to the, to your spine. Yeah, I'm not worried about the contract stuff. And, you know, there was, there was a trade rumor for it seemed like an hour, and then that sort of went away. It, it was weird. I'm not worried about Kamara not being a Saint. Like the, the Saints are in their Super Bowl window now. They have a 41-year-old quarterback. Like they need to win now. Losing Elvin Kamara would be a big hit to that offense. So he's going to be there. That that back thing is the bigger concern to me. And I, I've seen conflicting reports from different you know doctors on Twitter that we follow about how serious this is. So you, you, you add that to last year's high ankle sprain, last year's knee injury, which you know Kamara had that comment. Uh, early in camp that he, you know, quote, tore his knee. He, he made it sound worse than I think we thought it was. The durability thing to me is a bigger concern than the contract stuff. But ultimately, I'm still taking Alvin Kamara as the, as the fourth guy off the board behind McCaffrey, Barkley, and Zeke. Yeah, that's where I am with Kamara as well. I mean, from what I've seen, the, the, the Saints are saying that he just got that epidural to calm down the SI joint, which is uh, apparently where the spine meets the pelvic bone. So... Apparently there was some soreness in there. He has gone back to practicing. I would be more worried if he got the shot and then was still inactive when he returned. But if he gets it and he goes back to playing, I mean, guys get pain killing shots all the time during football season. So I'm not going to ultimately alter my plan for Alvin Kamara in round one for that. Is it a little bit more worrisome? Yeah, but there's no sure thing in that range. And I think Alvin Kamara wins on ceiling and really is as short as anybody else that you're taking in there. 
And the nice thing about Kamara is you can take Latavius Murray and, you know, even if you want to reach for him in, say, the eighth round. And Latavius Murray, I think he was the number one running back in fantasy football for those couple games Alvin Kamara missed last season. The Saints did add Ty Montgomery. Maybe he's a bit more involved if Kamara does miss time. But I would still expect Murray to, you know, handle, say, 75% of what Kamara does. And, you know, that would make him an RB1 if Kamara does miss time this season. Yeah, I would say Murray's one of the very few handcuffs that I would pursue for my own running back. And I mean, even if you don't get Latavius Murray, there are opportunities to ensure the running back position. Over the next couple of rounds, we'll talk about how we're approaching running backs uh, to get to that. And then even, you know, like in the middle of the draft. But again, we'll, we'll get to more of that when we get to the other running backs. So Joe Mixon and Dalvin Cook, I guess first Dalvin Cook, because he has been going earlier through most of draft season. Where are you taking Dalvin Cook now, Jared? I mean, still, all we have on Cook is the Adam Schefter cryptic comment that like he'd be worried about drafting Dalvin Cook. Like We haven't heard anything from Cook or the Vikings on the situation in well, at least a few weeks now. So I'm taking Cook at five still right behind Kamara. I wouldn't fault anyone for taking Derrick Henry over Dalvin Cook. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't fault anyone for taking Joe Mixon over Dalvin Cook. Um, but beyond that, I don't think Cook should slip much farther than that. Yeah, I, I agree. For me, it's the top four guys then I'm probably taking Dalvin Cook there, at least in PPR. Non-PPR, I could see leaning toward Derrick Henry a bit more. And as you said, I I won't fault you if you like Joe Mixon better. It's kind of a a nebulous range of running backs where I'm not going to argue too much for any ranking of those guys. But I'm taking Joe Mixon behind the other two, I guess mostly because we have yet to see exactly how the Bengals coaching staff is going to use him. He got a lot more rushing attempts in the second half of last season, but he didn't get any more targets. That's the one missing piece that if if they ramp up Joe Mixon's receiving usage, then he could be one of the top three backs by the end of the season. If we had some indication the Bengals were planning that, I would be a little bit more excited about him. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think Mixon might beat Cook and even Kamara on safety. Um, but I think Kamara and Cook just, just have the higher ceiling still, so that's why I lean in their directions. So let's move on from those running backs and to some other backfields that have had some news this week, including today. The Buccaneers backfield has been the buzziest, I would say, over the past few weeks. And of course, the most recent thing is adding Leonard Fournette. Bruce Arians has since said that Ronald Jones remains, quote, our guy. FFPC drafters disagree. Uh, They're drafting Fournette as high as round four at this point. And like ADP wise, that's where he's going. I don't know exactly how many drafts that's based on, but Even as high as round three, you could see Leonard Fournette go in those drafts. Ronald Jones has headed way in the other direction, though. His draft position's plunging. I've seen drafters talk about getting him as late as round 10. So I guess, Jared, the first question is, what do we do with this backfield? I mean, I think the best answer is probably to avoid it. But at those type of price tags you're talking about, I'm still taking Ronald Jones pretty easily ahead of Leonard Fournette. Um, I mean, yeah, Arian said Jones is his guy. If, If... he and the Bucks had full confidence in Ronald Jones. They wouldn't have added all these guys to the backfield this offseason. I mean, even before Leonard Fournette, they added LaShawn McCoy. They drafted Keyshawn Vaughn. So they're not fully confident in Ronald Jones. I do, though, still expect Ronald Jones to get the first shot to be the lead back here. Now, he opens against a, a, a pretty tough Saints defense, so it's not like the best spot for him to come out of the gates flying and you know take hold of that job. But, again, if, if he – plays well if he doesn't make mistakes if he you know protects Tom Brady well which I think you know might be the most important thing in this backfield and possibly why you know we might see LaShawn McCoy play on passing downs I do think Jones has a shot so again I think Fournette's going to need you know Jones to stumble if he's going to take over as, as the lead back here 
Yeah, I mean, so here's what we know. Leonard Fournette is probably a better player than Ronald Jones. We don't know that for sure. But, you know, just based on the fact that Leonard Fournette was a top five draft pick when he came in, he hasn't been terrible. He's been disappointing versus that. He's been inefficient at times, but he's also been on a terrible offense. So he's probably a more talented running back than Ronald Jones. Um, we also know that the Bucks didn't have to pay basically anything to get Fournette and LaShawn McCoy. It's not like they went out and signed big money free agents. They got LaShawn McCoy for a veteran minimum. They've spent a one-year deal on Leonard Fournette that maxes out at $3.5 So that's backup level money. So it's quite possible that they were like, I mean, whatever. Let's, let's put them in there. Just like fantasy drafters, if you take you know, a strong third running back doesn't mean that you think your first two are going to disappoint you. It just means you know that injuries happen and you want to take as many bites of the apple as you can. So maybe it really is just them going for affordable insurance and making sure that their backfield works out no matter what happens. I agree with you that at least Bruce Arians saying Ronald Jones is our guy probably means that Ronald Jones gets the first shot to lead the backfield in touches. So I am certainly most interested in him right now. The price is going to have to be right at this point. I would say if I can get him anywhere from round seven on is probably where I'm looking at Ronald Jones. It would depend really on who else I'm considering at that point and who else I have on the roster. But I think anywhere from round seven on, even if Ronald Jones ends up their second running back behind Leonard Fournette, that's not a crash in value. Yeah, even seventh for me feels a bit too early. I mean, I, I think Jones belongs in the Zach Moss territory. And I know Moss's ADP is on the rise. He's been available in you know the eighth, ninth round throughout most of the drafting season. He's going a bit higher now. But I think I think for me, Zach Moss would have to be off the board before I'd consider Ronald Jones. And then Leonard Fournette, I mean, again, I don't see a reason to take Fournette before you take Ronald Jones. So, you know, I, based on where he's gone draft so far, he, he's going to be nowhere near my radar. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Leonard Fournette, is probably a more talented running back, but he hasn't been an efficient guy. And that's part of why he got dumped from Jacksonville and why no other team traded for him and why he can only get this small one-year deal on the open market. So uh, there is absolutely no guarantee that Fournette is a better player than Ronald Jones at this point. And like we said, it sounds like the Bucks are at least going to start with Ronald Jones as their top back. So I'm certainly not taking Fournette where he's likely to go at this point. If you hit a draft where these guys are reversed and somebody takes Ronald Jones in round four and Leonard Fournette's on the board in round eight, then sure, I'll take Leonard Fournette at that point. Yeah, Fournette too, by the way, was not any better than Ronald Jones in pass protection last year. And Jones was bad, but Fournette was also bad. Um, so again, that's why I think I, you know, it might be a three-back committee here with Jones and Fournette sharing you know, most of the early down stuff and LaShawn McCoy playing on passing downs. I, I, I just like reflexively chuckle every time I hear about LaShawn McCoy being the passing down guy. I mean, he's been fine as a receiver. Yep. I honestly have not watched LaShawn McCoy's pass protection a whole lot, but I I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine he is just the stud pass protector just because he's he's not that type of guy. I mean, right. <laughs> he doesn't take care. Of, well, all right, we're, we're getting off the rails <laughs> here. He doesn't seem like a nice enough guy to be a strong pass protector. Let's say it, let's say it that way. Uh, they did cut Dario Gunwale earlier today, so that took a running back out of the mix. So it sounds like McCoy is going to make this roster. Keyshawn Vaughn's probably going to make the roster as their third yeah. round rookie. Raymond Calais is still there. He's probably not going to make the roster. I think he was like a, a sixth round pick and a receiving type back. You know, still some sorting to do, but it, it looks like these are the guys we're, that we're going to be heading into the season with. There have been reports on LaShawn McCoy having a third down role. I guess maybe that's the most likely outlook for him at this point. And maybe that's why they felt like they could unload Dario Gonbuale. 
Yeah, I don't think McCoy or Vaughn are draftable in you know standard size leagues unless you're going twenty plus rounds. I don't think those guys are worth roster spots. Yeah, I agree. I'm not interested in either of those guys either. Um, Leonard Fournette's surprise release in Jacksonville, of course, shook up that backfield. The remaining committee for the Jaguars: Chris Thompson, Rykel Armstead, Divino Zigbo, and rookie James Robinson. And Robinson's probably the least familiar guy to most people. He's an undrafted free agent out of Illinois State. Had a very productive rushing career for Illinois State, but only 46 receptions over the past three seasons where he was mostly the starter and lead back for the team over that stretch. A below average speed score guy. He's big-ish. He's like 219 pounds, so not huge. Um, and, and again, slow for his size. Doug Marone did say, though, that Ozigbo and Robinson are the are three <laughs> down types. And he left out Armstead there. And Armstead's been dealing with an injury throughout training camp too. So um, I'm not even sure Armstead's going to, you know, be the lead guy in week one. We'll check out the practice reports next week. But just overall, I mean, we're looking at at least a two-man committee, probably a three-man committee on a bad Jaguars team that's going to be playing from behind. I still think Chris Thompson is pretty easily the top target here in PPR leagues. I know he's not going to play a full season. He's going to you know miss time at some point. But when he's out there, you could catch a lot of balls on a Jaguars team that's going to be playing – from behind quite a bit um, among the other guys. I think you just want to go for the, the cheapest, at least among Ozigbo and Armstead. I'm still not sure Robinson's a guy if you want, want to be drafting, just not an impressive prospect. I, I still think he's probably third behind Armstead and Ozigbo. Um, Ozigbo tends to be going later. I've actually taken him a few times in like the 13th or 14th round. Just take a shot on the guy. If he can give you, you know, 12 to 15 carries per game, that's useful at some point. Yeah, I'm not interested in any of these guys in the single-digit rounds. If we're talking double-digit rounds, I agree with Chris Thompson being the first target. He's just he, His touch profile is not going to be consistent enough week-to-week week for me to take earlier than round 10. But I think he'll generally last I- into that range. And beyond that, I agree. I'll just take the cheapest part. If that's a Zigbo, I like him better than Armstead, but I don't think there's any particular thing that, that's a big differentiator between them as players, as prospects. I agree that Robinson's not really on the radar unless we're talking dynasty or an extremely deep league. And mostly it's, it's definitely a backfield that I don't feel like I need a piece of. Yeah. I mean, if you leave your drafts with no Jags running backs, I think, I think you'll be just fine. I would not be surprised though, if Chris Thompson has a nice week one against the Colts team that I think is, is seven point favorites despite being on the road. Yeah. I mean, like if Thompson doesn't do well, in week one, then it, you know, it might be time to dump him because it is a pretty ideal week one spot for him. The Washington backfield got shook up Friday morning because the team surprisingly released Adrian Peterson. You might say it's not that surprising for a team to give up on a 52-year-old running back, but even Adrian Peterson said he was surprised that he got released today. He told ESPN's Justina Anderson that he was not expecting it. They had told him that they were going to give more touches to the younger guys, but he thought he was going to be on the roster, said he was having a strong camp. Peterson says that the team likes Antonio Gibson as the lead back for the style of offense that they want to play this year. That's what fantasy drafters are assuming. He's been climbing. He's certainly the top running back pick there. But, I mean, we're going to have to see what that cost is. That's a still developing thing at this point with how late Peterson was uh, released. Yeah, I just saw a draft board from an FFPC draft where Gibson went in the middle of the fifth round. That's a bit early for me just because I still prefer some of the wide receivers in that territory. You know, Robert Woods, Terry McLaurin, Tyler Lockett. I'm taking those guys over Antonio Gibson. I think the sixth round is where he would start to make sense for me. Um, yeah, you you mentioned Adrian Peterson says Washington likes Gibson. All the you know like national reporters when they reported the Peterson release this morning kind of alluded to the fact that Gibson's play in training camp played a big part in Washington feeling you know 
good enough releasing AP and going with Gibson. It's a tough situation because this guy, you know, had 77 touches over the last two seasons in Memphis. Like he's so inexperienced and now expect him to play this big role as a rookie in the NFL. Um, it's going to be interesting, but again, you know, the competition now is Peyton Barber and JD McKissick and Bryce Love, who, you know, it sounds like he's not ready to play much of a role out of the gate. So I do think Gibson is going to lead Washington's backfield in touches right out of the gate, you know, whether that's carries, I'm not sure, but I expect him to, to get a pretty good rushing volume and also, you know, be active in the passing game. The 77 college touches is the worrisome part with Gibson. So we just haven't seen him play running back, really play running back, much less be a, a lead running back. He is 228 pounds. So I think physically he can probably hold up to a workload at least, you know, a week to week basis. And we'll see how he holds up throughout the course of the season. But the point at which he's going to be going in drafts, I, I'm just not interested at this point. And, and mostly because even if he is, this terrific prospect that is is better than even you know Washington thought in getting him in round three and ready to to deliver right away. We're still talking about a likely bad offense. I mean, the offensive line is only slightly better than Daniel Snyder's code of conduct. So <laughs> anybody behind this O line is not. I don't think they're set up to dominate. I don't think they're set up to get a whole lot of goal line carries on an offense that that's probably not going to score a ton of points. That's going to be trailing a lot in games. And then if we're looking at the large tournament field um, competitions like FFPC and others, I mean, I'm going to be even more reluctant to take Antonio Gibson where he's going because we've had a month plus of people taking Antonio Gibson, you know, into the double digit round. So if you're taking Gibson in round five, and competing ultimately with teams yeah. that in round 12, then you're losing a lot of value, even if he is, you know, solid to good for his draft position. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm, I'm glad to have gotten some, you know, like 10th round Antonio Gibson shares. Again, if he's going to be consistently going in the fifth round, that's too rich for me. Where, where do you think he'd have to drop to before you'd be interested in, in taking him? I mean, he was already going at the top around eight before Peterson got, uh, dumped. So I, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to imagine his ADP resting lower than round six. So I, I'm just, I, I don't think I'm going to be in on Gibson. I think if we're talking about a single home league, if Gibson's there in round seven or round eight, I could see it as a possibility. Antonio Gibson or JK Dobbins, who you got? Well, it depends on what else I have. Cause if I've already got my starters, I like JK Dobbins for upside. And if I'm, if I have okay. waited and I only have one running back or if I have an iffy second one, then I'll take Gibson because I think he's a more immediate contributor to the lineup. Yeah, that's fair. So you have those guys in the same general area though. Yeah. Overall, I would rather bet on Dobbins for this season. That's fair. What about you? I'm kind of with you that if I need an immediate contributor, it's Gibson. I still think Dobbins has a much higher ceiling though. Just, I mean, first of all, I think he's a better player. And second of all, he's in a you know, much, much better situation. Right. And he's been – a lead back, a workhorse back at Ohio State in the Big Ten. So yep. we know what J.K. Dobbins looks like as a workhorse if he does get that opportunity. The only question is whether he gets that opportunity this season. Right, exactly. Beyond Antonio Gibson, there is Bryce Love. You mentioned there are questions about whether he'll be ready early. I mean, I would think that they're not super worried about Love if they're dumping Adrian Peterson yeah. before the season <laughs> begins. But Peyton Barber's also there. J.D. McKissick is there. He's a wide receiver playing running back like – Antonio Gibson, Bryce Love, I would be interested in, in the, the double digit rounds. I'm not, I'm not reaching far for him, but again, if it's round 11 or so, then I like the upside. Yeah. He's a stash. I still kind of buy that. He's not going to have a role 
right out of the gate. It, it sounds like, you know, he's not still fully, fully over that, that knee injury. Um, you know, maybe by October, he, he's an option. So I like him as a stash. Peyton Barber's probably going to get way more work than anyone wants to see him get in week one. Um, it's going to be annoying if you do, you know, spend a fifth or sixth round pick on Antonio Gibson, but I'm not interested in drafting Barber or J.D. McKissick. Peyton Barber is going to be this season's Malcolm Brown from week one last yes. year, where uh, Antonio Gibson leads the backfield and touches, but Peyton Barber gets 13 carries for 40 yards and scores twice. Totally. Again, it's still a garbage offense, so I'm not super interested. I'm not drafting Peyton Barber. I'm not drafting J.D. McKissick, and I'm not excited about even either of the other two. I'm a little excited about Gibson. <laughs> um, we do have a Facebook question, by the way. Carry on Johnson versus Antonio Gibson. I figured I'd not save that one for the end since we're talking about that right now. So, Jared, who are you taking between Carry on Johnson and Antonio Gibson? That's Gibson pretty easily for me. Like, I think before the AP release, you could have said Carry on Johnson has the edge of probably playing a bigger week one role, but I don't even think that's the case now. You know, we're, we're going to have Gibson ranked ahead of Carry on Johnson in our week one rankings. And, you know, Gibson, I think, has much more upside throughout the course of the season. I agree. I would go Gibson pretty easily between the two of them. And, it, you know, again, if we're talking about just a single league, I think it doesn't really matter at that point where people were drafting Antonio Gibson months ago. That's just for, you know, right. a large tournament where you're competing against a thousand other people yeah. or more. Patriots backfield is the last one before we get to all the position breakdowns. Sony Michelle finally returned from his foot surgery to already potentially split the job with Damian Harris after Damian Harris's buzzy camp. Now Damian Harris has a hand injury that's threatening his week one availability. So already the games have not even started and it's already a headache of a backfield. Yeah, always a roller coaster in the Patriots' backfield. Um, yeah, it was a it was pinky surgery for Damian Harris. Um, it sounds like a few weeks, so he's probably going to miss week one. I, I guess the good news is like it shouldn't be a long term thing. Like it's a freaking pinky. I'm surprised he's missing any time, honestly. But um, it, I think. The takeaway is it's a chance for Sony Michelle to build some momentum, especially in that matchup at home against Miami. It's, it's, it's a good spot. So, you know, if Michelle is healthy, if he has a good game, um, you know, Harris might return and, and find himself, you know, down the depth chart again. You know how, who I would bet is especially amused by pinky issues costing anybody any game is Ronnie Lott. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, just break off the affected area <laughs> and get on with the football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is already a backfield, already has been a backfield that I've just not wanted any parts of. I, I started out draft season excited about James White, but then they signed Cam Newton. And I mean, that upgrades the offense. So maybe I, I'm overreacting to, to Cam Newton being the new quarterback. But, you know, traditionally, running quarterbacks haven't been great for running back targets. Now, you know, you could point to Christian McCaffrey in Carolina. James White's not Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> Christian McCaffrey was one of the team's top couple of wide receivers at running back that's not James White he's their lead receiver at running back he's not really a downfield threat I think he easily leads the backfield in targets this year James White could finish second on this team in targets behind Julian Edelman but I definitely temper my excitement a bit for James White with Cam Newton as his quarterback it, it's it's funny you've gone down on White I've actually come up on him over the last month for a couple of reasons one it seems like you know Nikhil Harry had a pretty rough training camp and I'm not sure he's ready to emerge as a big part of the passing game right away. The Patriots released Muhammad Sanu. So, I mean, the, the wide receiver core looks probably worse than it did, you know, a month ago, which is kind of tough to relieve. And then you just have all these other question marks in New England's backfield. Damian Harris, again, he's not going to play week one. Sonny Michelle is only going to practice for like less than two weeks when week one kicks off. So I just think, especially out of the gate, James White, 
might play a bigger rushing role than we were expecting initially. And his pass catching role might be even bigger just because, you know, there's no one else to throw to, you know, it might be Adelman and then James White is the number two option in this passing game. So um, especially for week one against that, you know, Dolphins defense, I think White's going to be a a pretty nice fantasy play. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's entirely possible I'm overreacting to Cam Newton being the quarterback. And I certainly don't dislike James White versus ADP. I'm just less likely to reach beyond his ADP to get him at this point. But, I mean, if you're taking him anywhere around there, I'm totally fine with it. I'm not going to tell you he's a bad pick around ADP. Keep an eye on Rex Burkhead, too. I mean, you know, he's he's like the one guy who can, can contribute on the ground and through the passing game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, has like 10 to 12 touches against Miami in week one. And he's been in the goal line picture every year that he's been healthy in New England. So he's going to be annoying. Yep, for sure. Overall, it's really just a backfield I would rather pass on and let somebody else figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to say Harris and Michelle have both been going late enough where I've been tempted and taken them a few times. Like, I still think if one of them emerges as a clear lead back, basically, you know, the role we've seen Michelle in the past couple seasons, if either of those guys gets that role, there's there's still obviously value there. Yeah, yeah. if you can get any of them in the double-digit rounds, I mean, there's really only upside from that point, so you might as well take a shot. Just be ready for some potential in-season frustration. Yep. All right, so we'll move on from the newsy stuff. We'll get to position-by-position draft plans at this point. You know, not we're not going all the way through the draft plan, but basically how we're approaching each of these positions as we head into drafts this week and as how we've been approaching them to this point. To me, quarterback is like – it might be the most wide open that it's been. Yeah. And normally we've been like wait on a quarterback and then take these guys. But the reason it seems more wide open to me is I can see doing it at – any level. I mean, I'll, I'll consider Patrick Mahomes early if the price is right, if it fits the scoring system that I'm playing. More likely, Dak Prescott in like the round five room is getting my first serious look. And then b- behind him, though, there, there's options at every different level that I'm willing to consider depending on how the drafts go. Yeah, my, my first note at quarterback is it, it's like tough to mess up this position. I think the only way to really mess up a quarterback is just to reach too far ahead of ADP to land a guy. I look at ADP right now and I don't see anyone that's, you know, crazy overvalued. So I think you just be patient throughout your draft, be, be willing to take a quarterback at any point when that value presents itself. As always, you can wait super late, you know, after doing week one rankings, it almost like reminds me of how late you, you can wait. Like I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a nice start week one. Tyrod Taylor is a nice start in week one. You could literally get him with your last pick of the draft. Now you don't want to take you know, only Garoppolo or only Tyrod, unless it's a shallow league and there's plenty available on the waiver wire, but you could take someone like Ben Roethlisberger and Tyrod Taylor, I think, and be, and be just fine at quarterback. Yeah, I just popped a question that we got from a Facebook viewer on the <laughs> screen now because it fits what we're talking about at the moment. I, I agree. I think that the only way to go wrong at quarterback is to reach for a specific target. And to me, Kyler Murray, the question that's on the screen, in case you're listening to this and not watching it, is drafting Kyler Murray in the fifth round a reach? Now, obviously, it depends somewhat on format. But, I mean, we've been talking about Kyler Murray for all of draft season and can he pay off at that level? Like, can he, can Kyler Murray match where you draft him if you draft him there? Yes. But I don't think that there's much upside to Kyler Murray from that point, unless this Cardinals offense is just ready to, I don't know, blow up to a not realistically predictable level. Now, it's not generally a good idea to bet that highly on unpredictable things happening. And there are just so many quarterbacks at various points that Kyler Murray in that range has not been a bet 
that I want to make. E- even in best ball season, when I'm spreading the ownership around, I haven't been interested in making sure that I get Kyler Murray shares. To me, he's just mixed in this range with other similar quarterbacks who can run the ball, who do have good wide receivers and have already shown us the production. I, I So I just don't see the the value to betting on Kyler Murray where he's going. We're both lower than consensus on Kyler Murray, and I think we're both easily taking Dak Prescott over him. To me, though, that the spot to start considering that next tier of quarterbacks beyond Mahomes and Lamar Jackson is about round six. Like that's where I think Dak Prescott makes sense. So if Kyler Murray is your quarterback three, then I think it's round six to me where he starts to make sense. Round five, a bit too early still again, just because I like the wide receivers going there. And I'm not going to take a Kyler Murray over a Tyler Lockett or a Terry McLaurin. Now, you mentioned some of the other names, and I talked about the other levels. So Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson are in there. That's like if they're going a couple rounds beyond where Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray come off the board, round seven, eight maybe, depending on what else is on the board, of course. Then we've got Tom Brady, Drew Brees at QB 10 and 11 in ADP. I mean, I like both of those guys where they're going, even though Tom Brady's ADP has finally climbed a little bit. QB 10 is still below where we have him projected. And I'm even okay with waiting longer than that if I just keep liking the options at the other positions that make it to me and taking multiple players from the range that includes Jared Goff, uh, Cam Newton, Joe Burrow, some other guys in there to a lesser degree. And then you mentioned him already and kind of stole my thunder, but Tyrod Taylor, I think is the cheat code at QB right now. There's a good week one matchup at Cincinnati and really his first nine games before a week 10 bye. It's a terrific slate of matchups where I can see seven spots where Tyrod Taylor could finish top 12 among fantasy quarterbacks. I will not be at all surprised if he reaches that week 10 by as a top 12 fantasy quarterback overall. I actually, Jared, I caught myself starting to write up Tyrod Taylor for our article today about the guys who can win you a championship. I was starting <laughs> to write him down and I was like, wait a second. What if he's not the starter at the end of the season? Does he yeah. really qualify as a guy who won you a championship if he gave you, you know, three wins among the first seven games. Is that is that winning you yeah. a championship? Is that winning you some weeks? Yeah, that would have been a, a little spicy. You know, even I mean, if Tyrod finishes quarterback twelve, like that's awesome value. Even then, though, I wouldn't call him a league winner. Like I think he got to finish as like a top five quarterback to be a league winner. But yeah, I love Tyrod Taylor. Like you said, excellent schedule. He's going to give you the rushing value um good weapons especially when mike williams gets back and it sounds like williams has a chance to be ready for week one should i guess at least be back by week two at this point so like tyrod taylor again at quarterback you can just be flexible for me it's been like you know is Dak prescott there in round six or seven if he's not then i'm going on to tom brady and carson wentz in like the ninth or tenth round maybe if i miss out on them joe burrow jared goff um those type of guys i'm targeting you know super late And Carson Wentz, if you're a little bit more apprehensive after he had a ding in camp and given his injury history, he's like maybe the one quarterback where you can handcuff um, (laughs) at the very end of a draft. Like if you have Carson Wentz, you don't need a second quarterback because Carson Wentz is going to be starting for you. So you can make that second quarterback Jalen Hurts just in case something happens. Because if Carson Wentz goes down, uh, Jalen Hurts is absolutely Tyrod Taylor. He would be fun. Now, the other thing with how – easy it is to draft quarterback this year and how spread out the value is, is I think it makes it easier to approach two QB and super flex draft. You obviously have to start addressing the position earlier than you would otherwise, but it's still the same strategy. It's just the same strategy pushed up to, you know, where the ending point is around seven or eight or whatever it is in your draft or format, as opposed to well into the double digit rounds. 
Yeah, I feel like I've done more uh, two quarterback or super flex leagues this year than I ever had before. I guess that makes sense because they do seem like they're getting more popular. And to me, I think the biggest lesson I've learned this summer is where and who you get as your third quarterback is almost more important than who you get as your first two. Like you, you just want three locked in starters. I, even in Superflex, I don't think you need to get, you know, the Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, even the Dak Prescott's. I just think you want three locked in starters. You can play matchups with them, rotate them around throughout the season. I think that's the most important thing in, in a Superflex or two quarterback setups. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I am a little bit more likely even to target Dak Prescott there, but I mean, that's probably just because I've been looking at him overall in drafts where he's going. If, if he's there in round two and I don't feel like I'm going to lose out too much on value at, at running back or wide receiver, then I like Dak Prescott there. But the other thing with getting him is I it, I can wait even a round or two longer to get my second one. And then I agree, it, it's key to not let it go too long to where you miss out on your third one. Obviously, that's more true in two quarterback than it is in super flex, but it, it's comforting to come out of even a super yeah. flex draft with three for sure NFL starters on your roster. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, if if my math is right here, in a 12-team league, there's not enough quarterbacks for every team to have three of them. So you, you need to be kind of aggressive in getting that third quarterback. Running back, how are you starting out at that position? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could say kind of go against the herd and, and ignore the early round running backs because everyone's trying to load up on them this, this summer in drafts. But I still think it's ideal to get at least one, in some cases, two running backs with your first two picks the position just dries up so quickly to me, like outside the the middle of the fifth round, there's really not any running backs I'm interested in until you get, you know, to like the eighth or ninth. So I'm trying to get two, maybe three in those first five rounds. Yeah. I, I definitely want one running back, at least in the first two rounds. Uh, it's not a must. I think you can get through the first two rounds without one and still be fine. And I certainly think you can go zero RB, no matter how many people say that it's dead and there, it doesn't make any sense. You can do anything in those opening rounds, but I do generally want a running back with one of my first two picks. I generally want two in the first three rounds. I'm most likely going in that direction because I don't love the round two wide receivers once Julio and Tyreek Hill are off the board. And that's assuming that Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams leave the board in round one. Beyond those guys, those guys, I don't really like the next group of wide receivers that much. DeAndre Hopkins, Chris Godwin, I've been a little uncomfortable with where you have to take him. Given that I don't even know whether he's going to lead his own team in targets. So I'm not sure that I'm ready to take him as the fifth or sixth wide receiver off the board overall. Kenny Galladay, of course, we've talked about plenty. So that only motivates me more to consider the running back options if I'm in the second half of round two or George Kittle. And we'll talk about tight ends in a few minutes. But generally within those first three rounds, I will find two running backs that I, I that I like where the value matches up and I like the specific player that I'm getting. And it's more comforting to me to get out of those first three with at least two. And then that that opens up my strategy a little bit rather than needing to get two in say or feeling like I need to get to and say that the round five to seven range. Yeah. I'm with you on those later second round wide receivers. I don't see much difference between them and like even the wide receivers you can get in the fourth round of draft. So that's why I do prefer running back in the second round. Now in the, in the third and fourth rounds, other than James, other than James Conner, Conner, I'm trying to, I'm trying to avoid, that group. and it's partly because I think all those running backs have questions, whether it's age, durability, you know, offense that they're, they're playing in. It's partly that. It's partly that I just love the wide receivers in those rounds. Again, I think those receivers have just as much potential as the guys going in the late second round. So um, for me, you know, it's it's generally been a pair of wide receivers in the third and fourth round, and then maybe come back and take someone like Cam Akers in the fifth round as my second or third running back. 
Yes, I'm much more comfortable with Cam Akers or, say, J.K. Dobbins as a third running back than I am with either of those guys as my second and then, you know, trying to take another couple in that range. And I feel like that range has been muddled even further with what has happened injury-wise and cuts-wise and, you know, the way the running backs have moved around in that range. You know, DeAndre Swift is dealing with an injury at this point. It's just the more I look at the ADP – in that round five, round six range in particular, Ronald Jones now being the less certain thing. He he had been like a most drafts target for me in round five, round six, maybe even round seven. So now with him less certain, it makes me all the more likely to, to make sure I get to in the first three rounds. And like you said, with the wide receivers, I like that group of round three wideouts, and we'll get to those guys in a minute, but there's so many of those that even spills over into round four. Round five looks interesting at wide receiver, even several rounds beyond that. There are still value wide receivers. There are still attractive wide receivers with upside in that range, so I'm not finding that I'm penalized for even a slight reach on a running back in one of the earlier rounds. Yeah, you're right about those like fifth, sixth, seventh round running backs. Like I guess – like Cam Akers and I guess maybe Antonio Gibson are the only guys there now that like we can feel confident having a role right out of the gate. So I, I guess that's just another reason to, you know, get those two running backs early on. So you don't have to reach for these guys. Um, I, but again, though, I still like Cam Akers in like the fifth, still love JK Dobbins. You can get him in the sixth or seventh, even if he's not, you know, an option for your week one fantasy lineup. And then Zach Moss, who I mentioned, um, he's still a guy, even climbing an ADP. Um, if you have to take him in the seventh round, I still think he makes sense there. Yeah, I was kind of realizing how, I don't know, uncertain that range of running back has gotten when I did the perfect draft update the other day. And then looking at ADP, getting ready for this. I mean, in round four, we've got guys that I've already said I don't really love. Melvin Gordon, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell. Right behind that, according to our FFPC ADP on DraftSharks.com right now, Leonard Fournette is there. I don't know how real his ADP is at this point. I'm not sure he has an ADP right now. But then Cam Akers, who you mentioned early in round five, Raheem Mostert behind him, Kareem Hunt, DeAndre Swift, Mark Ingram. So none of those guys I can say, besides Cam Akers, and maybe not even Cam Akers, none of those guys I can say, I know that that guy is the lead back. I know he's going to get touches every week. I feel good about him as a week-to-week starter. Yeah, I just I, just, I don't want to have to mess with that group, which, again, pushes me towards those early running backs. All right, so later, who are you targeting at, at running back? Once you have you know the guys that you're realistically looking at as starters early in the season, who are some maybe some stash players? Yeah, Zach Moss is the first one on my list. And then, um, again, I have the Patriots running back, starting with James White, especially in PPR. I think even in non-PPR in, like, you know, the ninth or tenth round, he makes some sense. And then, um, you know, I've, in a couple drafts, actually taken uh, Damian Harris and Sonny Michelle. You know, I'm not sure you can count on either of them out of the gate. But, again, if one of them emerges as the clear lead guy, I think they're going to be a value pick in the double-digit rounds. Mm -hmm. I still like Duke Johnson down in that range. I like taking a shot on either of the Chargers running backs that are not – uh, Austin Eckler, either Joshua Kelly or Justin Jackson. Chris Thompson, we've talked about in the double-digit rounds. There's certainly reception upside for as long as he stays healthy. Divina Zigbo, if he's late enough. Bryce Love, if it's late enough. And then the Chiefs backfield, I don't mind taking late, late shots on either Daryl Williams or DeAndre Washington. Clearly, it's Clyde edwards Elaire's job now, but he's not going to get everything, and there's always a chance he gets hurt. Yeah, Joshua Kelly's a good one. I'm glad you brought up his name. Um, Justin Jackson's dealing with a foot injury. I don't know when he's going to be back, if he's going to even play week one. It, 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 it sounds like Joshua Kelly had a really strong camp, and the Chargers like him quite a bit. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he, even right away in week one, plays a bigger ball-carrying role than a lot of people are expecting. I think he's a really good late-round stash. 
And that Bengals matchup was terrific for rushing last year. We'll see about this year. They uh, added DJ Reader to the defensive line. Uh, they totally restocked at linebacker, but it's a bunch of unknowns. So we'll see if it's any different as term as far as run defense goes. But it looks like a, a pretty solid matchup for Joshua Kelly to start out. And, may, you know, maybe if he gets the nod and Justin Jackson's not ready to play right away, it could just be right. like, oh, I guess Joshua Kelly is ahead of Justin Jackson now. Exactly. Wide receiver. Uh, I do like Devontae Adams late in round one. I mentioned wanting to get the running backs early. If I'm picking like 10, 11, 12, I'm totally fine with taking Devontae Adams and then seeing who's left at running back around that turn, taking my chances at the end of round three. For me, I mean, I'm just attacking those third to fifth round wide receivers. I think ideally you take, you know, three straight wide receivers in those rounds. Adam Thielen, Allen Robinson, Amari Cooper, Robert Woods, Terry McLaurin, Tyler Lockett, Corlin Sutton. I love all those guys. I think mean, if you get three of those at wide receiver, you're you're very solid at the position. Yeah, and I think that is the argument against zero RB. Not against it, but that's why you don't have to do it, is you can get those wide receivers there. Certainly, if you're going zero RB, you're still looking at those wide receivers because you're not drafting running backs yet. But you're not getting penalized, I don't think, for taking one or two running backs early because you can get multiple players in that range. You can take whoever you like. I mean, it's definitely – I'm disappointed at this point if I leave a draft without Robert Woods. Uh, It's unlikely that somebody takes him before me unless I – you know, I'm picking at a point where I'm like, all right, I like the running back that's here at 4-2, so I'm going to take a shot and see if Robert Woods gets back to me in round five. And then in that case, he doesn't, he might not get back to me, and I, I know that going in, but that's basically <laughs> a scenario in which I'm not taking Robert Woods at this point. Yeah, it's just another reason why I like picking in the front half of round one. I mean, first of all, you get the stud wide receiver, but it's just a better spot to land Robert Woods at like the end of the fourth round. A lot of times if I'm picking early in the fourth round, I'm gambling that Woods is going to make it back to me in the late fifth. And it does seem like his ADP is climbing a bit where, you know, now he's going, you know, he's off the board usually by the early fifth round at this point. Yeah, you definitely shouldn't count on him getting back to you late in the fifth. So it depends on what's there. And I'm totally comfortable with taking him early in the fourth if I started without any wide receivers and like he's my first one there. Nothing wrong with the value. You mentioned rounds five through seven, even rounds eight, round nine. There still could be very attractive wide receivers on the board at that point with upside. Keenan Allen is one in the range that we didn't really mention, but um, he lingers on the board. Will Fuller is a target. But you get into round seven, we've got Jarvis Landry, uh, Brandon Cooks. And then even round eight, we've got Marvin Jones. Debo Samuel is somebody to consider at this point because now it sounds like there's a chance he's back for week one. And, I, you know, the foot is still a question mark long term over the course of the season, whether it holds up. But, I mean, if he's ready to go and if he's going at the rate where you're or at the level where you take him as your third wide receiver, maybe even fourth, I mean, there's not a ton of risk at that point, right? Yeah, the drafts I've done and some of the recent drafts I've seen, he's still going like the 10th round. I think he's well worth a shot there. I mean, he was, what, like a fifth or sixth rounder before the foot injury. I think you still don't plan on using him for, you know, probably even the first couple weeks of the season. You know, let him get his legs back under and make sure there's no setbacks with the foot. But, you know, by, by the end of September, early October, I think he could be a weekly fantasy starter. So I think, you know, ninth, tenth round is a good spot for Debo Samuel. Um, I like those guys you mentioned. I'd add Tyler Boyd to the mix. I mean, he's still a massive value. It seems like he had a good training camp with Joe Burrow. I think Boyd will probably open the season as Burrow's top target, considering all the time 
AJ Green missed. And then, of course, we have to mention Deshaun Jackson. Um, I've seen his ADP climbing. I think, you know, the, the Jalen Rager injury sort of made everyone realize that, you know, Deshaun Jackson's going to play a big role in this passing game. But I still think, you know, ninth, tenth round, you're pretty safe where DJX is going to be there. And I think he's still a nice value there. I'll take Deshaun Jackson. I have yet to see him go at a point where I'm like, oh, I guess that person likes Deshaun Jackson better than I do. It's just right. the only time I ever see somebody else take him is when I just decided to wait and somebody finally took him before I got the chance. But otherwise, Deshaun Jackson is, is mine in a draft. Yeah, he, he's, he's my most owned player uh, across fantasy drafts pretty easily, I think. Yeah, I don't even have to look up my own rates to know that that's <laughs> There's another wide receiver in that round seven through nine range that I put in our guys that could win you a championship article. So I'm not going to reveal them here. You're going to have to be a subscriber and read them to, to get that one. <laughs> Should we move to tight end? Do you have anything else on the wideouts? Uh, yeah, let's go to tight end. It's not get too end. much away. Are you avoiding Travis Kelsey and George Kittle at where you would have to take them? Are you scared to take a tight end with that kind of draft capital? I'm not. And I know I just said you want, you know, ideally two running backs in, in the first two rounds, but I, I'm more willing to take Kelsey or Kittle than a wide receiver in the top two rounds. I think you can get, you know, one of those top 10 running backs plus Travis Kelsey or plus George Kittle. I think, you know, they're, they're going to give you a big edge at the position over, even over guys like Mark Andrews and Zach Ertz. So I think Kittle, uh, Kittle and Kelsey definitely make sense up there. That said though, you know, tight end is, is so deep, kind of like a quarterback. I think there's value options throughout the draft where you don't need to feel, you know, obliged to take one of those top end tight ends yeah i'm fine with either kelsey or kittle i found myself even more gravitating toward kittle at where he's going because kelsey's more the one-two turn and it's tough for me to pass on the wide receivers and the running backs in that particular range but it's entirely realistic to start your draft with like a top four pick taking one of the running backs there getting george kittle very late in round two and then getting todd Gurley or James Conner around the two, three turn. I would enjoy that start to a draft, the top three running back, George Kittle, Todd Gurley through three picks. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Among those top four tight ends though, Zach Ertz might be the biggest value. I see him drop into the fourth round consistently. I see him get into the fifth round in a lot of drafts. I mean, I know he's not, he's not as exciting as Kelsey or Kittle. He's not even as exciting as Mark Andrews, but just the volume he's going to get. I mean, I hate to say it, but the Eagles wide receiver core isn't, going to be much different in week one than it was last season like they're going to have Deshaun Jackson out the other and that it's going to be pretty similar so I think especially until Jalen Rager gets back until Alshon Jeffrey gets back if he does you know rejoin the Eagles at, at some point um, you know Zach Ertz is going to be as good a target bet as any tight end yeah I started draft season wondering whether Zach Ertz was going to be a target for me but everybody else is wondering the same thing so it's pushing him down the board I've seen more than once where he's available in round five and I think he's a steal at that point. So we've got a question from Facebook. Would you prefer Kittle in the second or Ertz in the fourth? Mm. I think it depends somewhat on where you're picking in the round. If it's late in the second, which would also be late in the fourth. And honestly, it's tough and it's going to depend on which specific running backs make it to me at that level, because I like both of those guys at those spots and it's entirely possible. I don't love any of the other options. I do think it's more likely that I find a wide receiver that I like late in the fourth than that I'm in love with a late second round pick. And I just think George Kittle's ceiling is as high as anybody at the position, including Travis Kelsey. So if I'm choosing between those two specific assets, I would lean toward George Kittle late in the second. Yeah, I would actually lean towards Zach Ertz, although I agree it's super close. I think, I think you know, just 
pure value Kittle round two Earth's round four. They're, they're like dead even. It depends who else is available, you know, when you're deciding between those guys. To me, though, I just think, you know, the opportunity cost. If I'm passing on a running back like a Miles Sanders or a Kenyon Drake for George Kittle, um, I'm more likely to take the running back there and then take Earth's in the fourth round. Yeah, and that's why I say a specific player is if Miles Sanders is still on the board, I'm taking him over George Kittle, and I'll take my chances on, on Zach Ertz still being there. Um, yep. If I'm talking about, say, I'm trying to think of, like, who who would be the the targets in that range that I would pass on, but, you know. Like it, a Nick it, Chubb or an Austin Eckler. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking Eckler, but I'm not even sure. I might go ahead and take Eckler. I, it really it really depends on specifically who's on the board. Kittle, to me, though, is the one guy among the top four that I think could just smash this year and, you know, finish the season with 130 targets and finally hit, you know, eight to 10 touchdowns and just be a weekly beast on a team where he should lead the team in targets. I think Zach Ertz has a yeah. little bit less week-to-week certainty with the, with the expansion of options there when they are healthy in Philly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Kittle, a much, much higher ceiling. That's why he's going two rounds earlier. But I mean, Kelsey could smash too. I mean, Kelsey has like a 1,200-yard, 12-touchdown season in them pretty easily in that Chiefs offense. All right, so we'll move on to others at the position. I agree that, that Mark Andrews and Zach Ertz are in play as well, and Zach Ertz especially has been falling beyond where Mark Andrews is. So I started draft season focusing more on Andrews. Now I would say I'm a little bit more focused on Zach Ertz, especially for weekly PPR lineup setting purposes. And, I, and I'm fine with taking either of those guys where they go. If I don't get a stud tight end, though, I found myself a little bit more likely to pass over Evan Ingram range, which was another kind of exit ramp for me to take at tight end. I, I liked Evan Ingram early in draft season, but at this point, I'm just fine with passing over him because Tyler Higby's around, Hayden Hurst is around, Hunter Henry's around. And I, all of those guys are just fine with me at the price where they're going before we even get to the later values of the position. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm really generally avoiding that next tier. And I guess that next tier for me is Darren Waller, Evan Ingram, Tyler Higby. I guess Hayden Hurst has even kind of climbed into that tier and Hunter Henry. I, I, I don't have any issue with any of those guys. I guess Hurst to me is overvalued. The rest of them I, I'm fine with. And if they drop beyond ADP, like if I can get any of those guys and say around eight, I'm definitely going to you know be interested there. But it's just that the guys going significantly later that I like that I think have you know significant upside, close to you know the same amount of upside as someone like someone like an Evan Ingram or a Tyler Higby. Sort of that, that's sort of making me pass on those and, and waiting until the double digit rounds to take you know two of these upside tight ends that I like. Yeah, it's the same for me as if one of these guys slides past ADP at some point, I'm like, all right, fine, I'll take Hunter Henry if you guys are going to make me do it. But at no point am I like, yes, I got Hunter Henry. Um, so I agree. <laughs> we had another tight end question from Facebook. How confident would you be with Dallas Goddard as your only tight end? I would absolutely not be confident at all because I think he's Philly's number two tight end. We, we've mentioned previously, I mean, Dallas Goddard really loaded up on targets late in the season when the wide receivers were out, when Zach Ertz was even banged up, when Jordan Howard went down. So the end of the season lined up perfectly for Dallas Goddard to load up on volume. You know, Maybe he takes a little bit more away from even a healthy Zach Ertz this year, but I'm not betting on that. And I would, I would feel much better with Dallas Goddard as my second tight end than as my only one. As I said, the Eagles are dealing with wide receiver injuries already. So I actually do think Dallas Goddard is a decent week one play in a nice matchup against Washington. I think he'll, he'll play a big role, but if the Eagles wide receivers start to get healthier, I think that's going to hurt Goddard. You know, his, his splits over the first half of the season versus the second half last year, as far as targets go, were, were massive. And that was because of all the wide receiver injuries. So, you know, Goddard's okay. Again, I think he's a good week one option, but I would definitely pair him 
um, with, you know, a couple or I guess one of these other um, later round tight ends we'll talk about here. Yeah, Dallas Goddard could absolutely work out in any given week, even with Zach Ertz healthy. He's basically just the same as uh, Jared Cook and Jonu Smith, where he's not a good bet for consistent targets, but any week there could be a touchdown. There could be six to seven targets. For him. Yep, exactly. And, you know, the upside with Jonu Smith and Jared Cook specifically are those guys are their number one tight ends for their team. So I think they're a bit more likely to get that good target count week to week. You mentioned John Smith. He's a guy I'm targeting late. Um, I'll leave Blake Jarwin to you, but uh, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, Chris Herndon, along with John Smith. Um, I, again, I think there are a ton of upside tight ends. Now, a couple of these guys are probably going to disappoint, but I, I think we're going to see, you know, like four, five, six, like true breakout tight end seasons this year. And I think, you know, all these guys are available in, you know, the double digit rounds. Yeah, and there are enough options that you just take two of them. You figure it's probable that not both of them will pop for you. But if you take two, one of them very well could. And even if neither of them really like turns into a for sure every week tight end, if you have two, you switch them out here and there and get the points you need on a week-to-week basis. Blake Jarwin, of course, all of draft season has been my biggest issue with drafting any tight end any earlier because especially as we get closer to the bottom of the top 12, I'm saying, well, why should I take this guy when I can wait another three rounds and still nobody's going to be taking Blake Jarwin. And I honestly, if you just look at Blake Jarwin alone as a player, I can understand you saying fourth year breakout. What that doesn't happen. We just don't see guys break out at this age, but show me somebody who does not think that Dallas is one of the top offenses in the league. Now, Blake Jarwin is the number one tight end for this offense that we all agree is among the best in the league. He is stepping into a starting job that allowed Jason Witten to finish 10th among tight ends and targets last year and top 12 across scoring formats, even in non-PPR, in total fantasy points among tight ends. That was with Blake Jarwin taking 41 targets. Jason Witten got 83 of them. I'm not saying you combine those and we get 124 targets for Blake Jarwin. I'm just saying even having CeeDee Lamb entering the mix in place of Randall Cobb does not suddenly take away the targets that were already there, especially if this Dallas team even throws the ball a little bit more. Even last year, they were only 58% pass. So there's room for this team to pass more and still be toward the middle of the league in passing share. So the opportunity is absolutely there. And that's the argument that people give against Jarwin every time I mention him. You mean the fifth option for the, the Cowboys? Jason Witten tied for third on the team in targets last year, again, with Jarwin stealing carries or stealing targets and with Ezekiel Elliott behind him. I don't know why Ezekiel Elliott's going to suddenly leap over the now standalone starting tight end for Dallas. So I'm not worried about that one. Maybe CeeDee Lamb gets more targets. There's plenty of room for both of those guys. Blake Jarwin can get to 90 targets, be fourth among Cowboys and still be top 10 among tight ends. And again, if he's in this top notch offense, there's scoring opportunities all over the place. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the bar to clear at tight end is so low. If he, if Jarvin sees 80 targets this year, he's going to be a top 12 tight end in terms of volume. If he's top 12 tight end in terms of volume in this Cowboys passing game, I would strongly bet that he's going to finish, you know, as a top 12 fantasy scorer. It's just, I, I just want pieces of that Cowboys offense in general. Most of them are expensive. You know, Dak's expensive. Cooper's expensive. Gallup's 
pretty expensive. CD Lamb, I think, is you know cheap enough where I like him. I mean, I like all these guys. I'm just saying Jarwin is easily the cheapest among them. I think he's still like tight end 19 in ADP. I'm with you. I've taken a whole bunch of Blake Jarwin paired with another one of these tight ends. Yeah, I'm not just going all in on Blake Jarwin, but if you pair him with a TJ Hawkinson, a Jonu Smith, I think I think it's a good bet you're going to get you know one breakout tight end. Right. He is one guy that I did put in the championship guys who can win you a championship article. So I'll give that away. But you know, I've talked about him so much at this point. I think it'd be surprising if I didn't put him in that article and he's tight end 19 and ADP. So it's not like I'm saying take Blake Jarwin as the eighth tight end off the board. Every one of those other pieces you mentioned is going, you know, at a fairly high value spot. So if you like this Dallas offense, I think the only way that you can actually argue against taking Blake Jarwin is if you're like, well, I already have three Cowboys on my roster and I can't start four of them. (laughs) It's just not going to make sense. Then I get it. You can do that. If we're not talking about best ball and you're just setting your lineup every week, I understand that you need to differentiate a bit. Otherwise Blake Jarwin should be on every one of your rosters. I don't think I'd have an issue with starting four Cowboys a week. That's how much I I like that offense. You know, if you're taking them at fair values, um, I just want to talk about Chris Herndon real quick. Cause I feel like um, we haven't talked about him much. He's someone who's definitely climbed our rankings throughout August. You know, what was, I think the buzziest player in Jets camp, um, you know, missed almost all of last season with the suspension, with the injuries, but you go back to his rookie year, you know, I think he had the 10th most uh, receiving yards by a rookie tight end over the past 10 seasons. So really encouraging, debut season and then you look at the Jets right now I mean Rashad Perriman and Denzel Mims have missed most of training camp with injuries they're both new to the team I don't think they're going to open the season with significant roles so it's going to be Jamison Crowder and Chris Herndon and you know I guess Le'Veon Bell as you know the three clear top options in that passing game so I think Chris Herndon is just another guy you can wait on at tight end and land and you know has a chance to be a breakout guy this season. Yeah, you can wait until double-digit rounds, take Chris Hearn and take Blake Jarwin at tight end, and then at the end of the season, you could have two top 12 tight ends on your roster from those guys. Yep, definitely. All right, let's move on to some questions before we wrap this thing up. We'll start with a first-round question. Jameson from Periscope has a the 12 spot in a PPR draft. He's wondering what should be his strategy at the end of the round. Is Joe Mixon and Tyreek Hill a good start? Yes, I would absolutely say that Joe Mixon and Tyreek Hill is a good start if both of those guys are available. Yeah, no issue with it. Um, personally, I prefer a Miles Sanders or a Kenny and Drake over Tyreek Hill. Again, it, it's not even that I like those guys better than Hill in a vacuum. It's that when you get to the end of the third round, and obviously you know, you're know you the first pick of the fourth, you're going to like the wide receivers a lot better, assuming James Conner doesn't get back to you. So you know, I'd rather go Mixon, Sanders, and then be able to get, you know, say, Allen Robinson and Robert Woods then have to take Robinson and like a, you know, Melvin Gordon in the fourth round if you want to get that second running back. So that's why I just prefer getting the two RBs at that uh, 12, 13 spot. I'm fine with the two RBs at that spot as well, but uh, I'm not going to tell you not to take Mixon or yeah. Kill. I would say look at a variety of ADPs to see the running backs that you can expect to be around at the end of round three because it's going to differ depending on what ADPs you're looking at. And you just got to know the that's the opportunity cost that you're that determines yeah. whether you take the wide receiver right there. If you get to the three, four turn, you're like, I hate these running backs. Then, you know, know that that's part of taking Tyreek Hill. Right. I mean, James Conner was like the key to being able to take a wide receiver or a tight end in round two back when, you know, he was going in the late third, even fourth round. Um, you know, in a lot of the drafts we do now, he, he's, he's going in the late second a lot of times, and he's always gone by the middle of the third. Now, maybe in, you know, some home leagues, 
Connor will still be available at the end of the third round. If you think that's the case, then I would, you know, definitely be good with taking Tyreek Hill at the uh, 201. Yeah. To me, James Connor and Chris Carson are the guys that you're hoping will be there that, that have the chance to be there. I mean, if you're looking at guys like David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell, that's the point that would make me say, I'm going to go ahead and take the two running backs early. And then yeah. I'll just, I, I guess I'll have to leave Tyreek Hill for somebody else. Yep. 10 team PPR, two QBs, kind of a first round question, but he's basically asking what's the draft strategy for a, a two QB league. We hit on that a little bit when we went through the quarterback section, but um, specifically wondering whether a quarterback in the first round makes sense. It certainly does at the right spot. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson will and should go in the first round of a two QB format. Now, I think any time beyond the first, at least beyond the first three picks, probably still beyond the first four picks, including Kamara among the top four running backs, would be where I would strongly consider one of those top two QBs. Yeah, I think Mahomes and Jackson should be middle of the first round in two quarterback setups. Um, I think Dak is a second rounder, um, like Kyler Murray, uh, Russell Wilson, Sean Watson. Those guys are like borderline second rounders, more more like third round values to me. But again, even in two quarterback leagues, I prefer you know maybe getting someone like Carson Wentz and then someone like Joe Burrow. But then again, make sure you get that third starting quarterback. And I think, I think Tyrod Taylor is a great option. I mean, I know he might not start all season, but you could, you could take Justin Herbert super late or even pick Herbert up off the waiver wire and just make sure you have that charger starter for the entire year. Yes, I agree with that. I will say that in a 10 team league, as this is, you're more likely to be able to get attractive running backs through the middle of round three and probably even into round four, especially with the two QB factor, which is going to push quarterbacks up the board. So, I mean, if you get to, you know, if you're picking sixth or seventh and you don't love the running backs, so you do want Patrick Mahomes, fine with taking Patrick Mahomes, taking perhaps Miles Sanders in the middle of round two, getting James Conner in the middle of round three, then you're in pretty good shape as you get to round four and you kind of see where it goes from there. Yeah. And the other thing about the 10 team league is, it's going to be much easier to get that third starting quarterback because there are, you know, there's, there's 30 locked in starters at this point. So every team can get three of them. Another quarterback question. When would you suggest I draft my QB in half PPR six points per touchdown pass? I want a higher end QB like Dak range. So I guess if you want a higher end quarterback in a six point per touchdown pass league, then Dak is worth considering. I do think he has touchdown pass upside beyond what we've seen through his first few seasons to this point i will also say though that tom brady is a value option in this league and doesn't probably go in the higher end range in your league i think where he goes with the six points per touchdown pass i mean we could see 35 touchdown passes from tom brady this season yeah so the six point passing touchdowns it makes quarterbacks a bit more valuable but from the in the six point passing touchdown leagues i've been in people overvalue quarterbacks more in those setups than even four-point passing scores because, yeah, quarterbacks get a bump, but all quarterbacks are scoring six-point passing touchdowns, so the gaps between them isn't it, aren't, aren't growing. So I, I still think you can wait in that format, um, especially, you know, if Dak Prescott's going to go in, like, the round in the, in the third round of a league like that, I would, I would not be taking him there. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing that, that changes in six points per touchdown pass format is it – makes the running quarterback slightly less valuable. I mean, there's yep. still the weekly upside for running quarterbacks, but six points per TD pass brings the passers up a little bit versus the runners. So that's why I say Tom Brady gains a little bit of value. And, you know, as Jared alluded to, you can still, 
wait and wait and grab two to three guys late and then just switch them out week to week. You don't have to have one quarterback that you count on every week. You can have guys that you platoon and get every week. Yeah, uh, Tom Brady and Drew Brees, I think, are the two guys that stick out to me as guys who are going to gain value there, Um, guys who should have high passing touchdown totals. They're obviously not going to add anything with their legs, but as you said, that, that matters less in that format. You can go late and look at somebody like Philip Rivers is going to be probably is going to be better in this kind of format than he would with four point per touchdown. Not not a lot better, but a little bit better, <laughs> a little bit more yeah. palatable week to week. Yep. All right, let's go to a question that has uh, JJ Arthega Whiteside in it. Who has the highest one <laughs> floor among low owned wide receivers? Randall Cobb, JJ, or Jay Jaw, Brian Edwards, or somebody else? Well, I don't know who the someone else could, can I pick anyone? Can anyone. I pick like Michael Michael Thomas? Michael Thomas? Um, I would I would lean towards Randall Cobb there. He's a he's, he's a veteran, but it's a new team, so there's still some risk there. But I think Houston's going to be playing from behind Kansas City. Um, Brian Edwards, I don't know exactly what his role is going to be. I expect him to be a top three receiver for the Raiders. And then our Sega Whiteside, I'm excited about him. I want to see it though. Like he, he he had a good training camp, but he was so bad last season. I, I want to see him do it in a real game before I you know put him in any kind of lineup. Yeah, I would say Cobb has the highest floor among these guys, given how much they paid for him in the offseason and, you know, that he has Deshaun Jack- Deshaun Watson throwing him passes. So among these guys' floor, I would say Randall Cobb. I would hope to not need to start any of these guys. I do think there's upside to all of them, especially Brian Edwards with the Tyrell Williams injury and their matchup at Carolina this week. I think there's lots of um, offensive and passing upside for the Raiders in that game. There, there are certainly plenty of other options. I mean, we'll have our, our rankings coming out soon to show exactly how we rank all these guys. And we'll be talking week one uh, next week as we move toward the games too. Yes, we will. Let's go to this early question. We got this early in the broadcast, but I was saving for the, the question. <laughs> Traded Nicole Hardman for Cordell Patterson. Was that a good move? <laughs> I, I read it and I wondered whether he was joking. I would say no, it's not a good move because yeah. even though I'm not on Nicole Hardman and he's going to need an injury or two to be startable most weeks, I don't think the David Montgomery injury makes Cordero Patterson a better fantasy asset than Nicole Hardman. I mean, I would love to see the Bears give Cordero Patterson like 10 carries in week one if Montgomery's out. You know, I think he, he'd do a lot better than Ryan Nall is going to do if he gets his 10 carries. Um, but my thing with this trade, though, I, I just think you could have gotten more from Nicole Hardman. Like a lot of, a lot of people are excited about him. So I would have. Thought you could have got more. Good news is I don't think you're going to miss McCall Hartman that much because, you know, outside of best foul leagues, I don't think he's going to have that much value. He's just going to be tough to count on from week to week. Unless Sammy Watkins goes down, then you're probably yes. going to yeah, then, yeah, that, then, then I'm screwed because I don't have any McCall Hartman. I'm definitely in favor of shopping McCall Hartman and seeing what you can get before people realize that he's still only going to get two targets a game. Yeah, I mean, or, yeah, you shop him now or you shop him, you know, when he has his first big game because he, he's going to have some big games this season. Um, mm-hmm. So when he has one, that's when I'd be looking to sell high. Yes, I agree. Another one from YouTube. Does Jamal Williams start the season getting 10 to 15 touches per game or does Dylan cut into that immediately? I don't think 10 to 15 touches is a good bet for Jamal Williams. I would like to say that Jamal Williams starts the season getting more touches than AJ Dylan, but given that they chose Dylan in round two, I don't know what to expect from the Packers usage of these guys. I think Williams will open the season as the number two running back. I read a couple things um, from Packers beat writers saying, you know, they don't think Dylan is ready to, to play much of a role in this offense out of the gate. Um, and that but Jamal Williams is still seven anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, I, I, I think Jamal, you know, I Williams is a guy that I drafted a ton of in best ball and like, 
it was never exciting. It was always like, you know, I need this sixth running back and he's easily highest in our ranking. So I took him, but it, it sounds like he's going to play, I don't know, something similar to the role he did last season, at least to start the year, you know, maybe Dylan plays more later on, but Jamal Williams was like a top 40 PPR running back last year. So in lineup setting leagues, he's not going to be someone you're, you're going to want to use. But if you, if you have a best ball draft still to go, I think Williams makes sense super late. And he's stashable even in non-best ball if the roster is deep enough. Because, you know, if Aaron Jones goes down, A.J. Dillon is not a pass catcher no matter what the draft position seems to suggest. So there's certainly upside to Jamal Williams. I would not treat him, though, entering the season as somebody who's a, a real lineup consideration. Yep, agreed. A question from Facebook. Sean has the second pick. He's going with Saquon Barkley. Coming back around, does he take Clyde edwards helaire or go with another running back one or wide receiver one? Who would be there? Uh, For one, I don't think Clyde edwards helaire is going to be an option for you. I don't know what size league we're talking about or, you know, any other scoring format stuff, but do not bet on Clyde edwards helaire being there at the second to last pick of the second round. I think running back-wise – the best hope is that maybe Kenyon Drake slides, maybe Austin Eckler slides, maybe Nick Chubb or Josh Jacobs gets to you. I think any of those guys is a fine consideration at the end of round two. I would take any of those players over, say, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, who are kind of the ADP likelies at that point. Yeah, I even like Aaron Jones in the late second round. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know – yeah, there, there's two other guys there in Williams and Dylan. Um, but I mean, Jones is awesome. We know the Packers want to be a run heavy offense. You know, I still think he's going to be the lead guy there. So I think the late second round is where he starts to make sense. Um, I, if Kelsey or Kittle make it to you there, I think they're excellent picks. And I would plan on and hope that James Conner gets to you in the early third round. I think that would be my target at 302. One more before we head out of here because we started talking about Nicole Hardman. Now we've got Nicole Hardman, Brandon Cooks, or Henry Ruggs in a non-PPR league. I'm assuming that we're talking about for the season and not for a week one starting position here. Um, so, Jared, what's your preference among these three guys? Yeah, so it's definitely not Hardman. Um, I would lean Cooks over Henry Ruggs, although it's close. Like Ruggs is a guy I just continue to like more and more, especially with Tyrell Williams on season-ending IR. Now I think Ruggs is going to play a big role right out of the gate. If we're talking week one, I think I almost might prefer Henry Ruggs because uh, I think Cooks might be a bit limited early just joining a, a new team. There was a report from one of the Texans beat writers that he you know might not be might not play a full allotment of snaps in week one. Um, so it might be Ruggs for week one for me, but season long, I would lean Cooks over Ruggs. Yeah, Henry Ruggs should hit week one as the team's number one wideout. I mean, I guess I wouldn't bet on him beating Darren Waller in targets, but at least as a number one wideout, they've been excited about him all along. Obviously, they made Henry Ruggs the top wide receiver pick in the draft this year, and they have a tremendous matchup, as I mentioned, against the Panthers. I think we could get surprising amounts of offense from this game, this Carolina-Las Vegas. I had to like sort through all of the homes for the Raiders. <laughs> but this Raiders-Panthers game, I think, could have tons of offense. There's target upside for Ruggs. I, I agree with you that over the course of the season, I would have to bet Brandon Cooks over Ruggs, but I would not be surprised at all if Henry Ruggs outscores Brandon Cooks by the end of the, by the end of this season, especially non PPR. Yeah, and Ruggs still tends to go, you know, two three rounds later than Brandon Cooks. So I definitely have more Henry Ruggs than Brandon Cooks on teams. And they're definitely going to range where you can take both of those guys. So you don't have to bet on one over the other. You can take Brandon Cooks next turn. Take Henry Ruggs. Yep, definitely. 
That's going to do it for this draft prep edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftShark.com now to see our updated rankings to make sure your custom MVP board is ready for your draft and to read today's fresh article, Nine Players Who Could Win You a Championship. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shouf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.